Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the way. I've had the blessing of being in Colorado the last week. Highs in the 70s, lows in the 50s, no humidity. I stepped off the plane yesterday, thought I'd gone straight to hell. I mean, it was... It was, it was awful. We, we spent the first half of the week with my parents, and so that means we did a lot of sleeping and a lot of eating. And then the second half of the week, we were with my son and his wife, and uh, we ate very little and slept very little. We just, he, our son drove us into the ground. He says, he says uh, hey, I've got this thing. It's a lot of fun. We can do it for our workout today. I didn't ask to do a workout today, but he implied we were, so we went with them to do this thing called the Manitou Incline. Uh, you start at like 6,600 foot elevation and you go up to 8,600 stair climbing. It's 2,768 steps. And, uh, and then you got to come back down. I think I can probably best explain it by Karen's prayer life. Karen went with me and with us and she said the first 600 steps, I was just praying I could make it. The second 600 steps, I was praying I wouldn't die. The third 600 steps, I was praying I would die (laughs) soon. And so, and she bailed at 1,800 steps. Yeah, she's not, she, she, (laughs) she's pointing over her to her brain like I don't have one. And so, uh, 1,800, and then she takes this path down the mountain, and she calls me when we're like at 2,500 steps, and I'm now praying to die. And she says, I've met the most wonderful group of people, and we're walking down, it's in the shade, and they've got snacks. (laughs) So it was was great. By the way, the 2,768 steps down hurt a lot worse than going up. It was... uh, So... I say all that to say, because, you know, sometimes we have a problem at church. We get out of the car and we kind of put on our smile and act like everything's okay in life when it's really not. So I'm just being genuine and say, why well, I smile on the outside. My legs are mostly bleeding on the inside right now, so not, not a whole lot of happiness there. Hey, that's a, a, a rough transition out of that. I do have an important announcement to make about the life of our church and our family. Our youth pastor, Will Wiskowski, is resigning effective uh, August 14th, and that'll be the Monday that we come home from, or the that weekend will have ended our, our youth camp. And so, uh, man, we're grieving about that a little bit. Will is coming up on nine years of having been our youth pastor and done just an incredible job. Uh, He and his wife, Jessica, and their kids are just a great part of our family. And uh, this has not caught us by surprise. Actually, last year after youth camp, Will came to us and said, hey, I think I'm ready to kind of make a shift, a change in my, my ministry. And so we began talking about what he wanted to do and how we could help him prepare for that. And uh, he's gotten a job with a, a ministry called Fishhook. And uh, they basically consult and help churches 
not only set up social media, but learn how to use it and to do it week in and week out. We've really seen him do a great job as he's been our youth pastor this last year with doing some of those things in our our social uh, ministry. But anyway, he is, uh, the company he's working for is in Indianapolis, but a, a job like that, you can imagine, you can do about from anywhere. So at least for the immediate future, they're going to be staying here in our area. Now, as I said, we knew about this last year, so it, it didn't sneak up on us. Uh, he told us, we talked with him and prayed, and we basically did nothing about it for about six months. But as we came into this spring, uh, as he was uh, earnestly looking, we began. And so our process is well up and running. And uh, it's our prayer that, that the Lord is going to deliver to us somebody here as a new youth pastor uh, in real short order. We don't think that'll be too too far off. But uh, we'll have a Sunday here in the next couple of weeks, month or so, that we'll have time to celebrate Jessica, or Jessica too, Will and Jessica and their family. And uh, so we'll be doing that. Be in prayer for them and uh, be in prayer for us as we go through this transition. So again, nine years, that's a, a, a long time. I think the average youth pastor is about three. So uh, we've had a, a, a great run of ministry with uh, Will and are very grateful for him. So we'll, uh, again, kind of a rough transition into where we are today as we uh, continue our series in Genesis. You know, folks, sometimes things just work out. And uh, that's what I think of today when I think of doing the Lord's Supper in Genesis 10 through 11. I did not plan for these two things to go together. I planned for Genesis 10 and 11 almost close to a year ago. But uh, And then our calendar kind of brought us here recently to Lord's Supper. And these wouldn't seem to be two things that go together. But I just want to say, wow, God... Because he forced me to do something, and I feel like the Holy Spirit almost took me up to about 30,000 feet to look down on the, on the Scriptures and see a big theme, a theme I was aware of, but just in these passages, how it develops. And, and seeing God divide us at the tower, but then bring us back together at the table. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. So go ahead and turn in your Bible to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11. We're going to be looking at the first nine verses. Maybe you have a Bible or you're using a Bible app. Flip back over real quick to chapter 10. You don't have to read it, but just kind of glance down through there. And very quickly, you'll see that Genesis 10 is a chapter that you never read. Because it doesn't take you many verses to see, oh, this is one of those chapters with a whole bunch of names I can't say, and if I could, it wouldn't matter. And so we think, okay, there's nothing here for me. But what is Genesis 10? So Genesis 10 is showing the descendants coming out of the line of Noah. But a little bit differently than some of the list we've already seen in Genesis, Genesis 10 is showing us how these individuals become families, become nations, So we're seeing kind of the first table of nations uh, in the Bible. And so we've got all these nations. And then you see in verse 5, chapter 10, verse 5, it talks about a group of these people, uh, these groups. They're going off over here to this area, and they're speaking different languages. 
And then you look at verse 20 and it says roughly the same thing. They're going over here and these languages. And then you get to verse 32. Same thing. Another group of nations, people groups going that way and speaking these various languages. So when we get to Genesis 11, 1 through 9, it is actually speaking back into chapter 10. It's explaining kind of the what, the how, the why of verse 5, verse 20, and verse 32. Now, kind of a quick summary of of where we've been and and where we're going. Uh, Today, in chapter 11, we are ending the first major section of Genesis. There's two sections. The Genesis 1 through 11 is giving us kind of the beginning of all things, the creation of all things, where everything came from. And then as we come back next week and we open up chapter 12, we're going to look, we're going to zoom down a little bit and we're going to see the beginning, the creation of God's people, the Jews, Israel. So next week I'll be starting with the life of Abraham. So those are our two big sections. So we're ending a, a big part of Genesis today in these first 11 chapters. And you know, you kind of look back over these 11 chapters and we're not trending very well, are we as humans? As a matter of fact, you could kind of sum it up this way. In chapter one, there's two people. They're one with each other and they're one with God. By the time we get to chapter 11, there's a whole lot of people and they're separated from each other and they're separated from God. Let's see how God works through all this. Would you look with me? Genesis chapter 11, and I'll begin reading in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. And then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, behold, they are one people, they will, they all, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. So we're at, this is our first introduction to this spot, Babel. And this is going to be a main spot, a major spot, uh, throughout the, the rest of biblical history. All through the Old Testament, we're going to keep coming back to this place. Babel is going to become known as Babylon. Okay, so that's a major empire that is going to cause a lot of problems for Israel. But it's not going to end in the Old Testament. We're actually going to see Babylon, if not a literal city, certainly 
uh, a name representative of a, of a way of wor- a worldview, a way of living, we're going to see Babylon show up in Revelation 17 and 18. So we're seeing a purpose of Satan and we're seeing a purpose of God. Right here, God's purpose is to divide them and that's a very temporary purpose while Satan's purpose is to unite them in sin and rebellion against God. When we get into the New Testament, we're going to see God bringing people back together and Satan works to keep us apart until the very end. And Satan will again work to unite us under the Antichrist at Babylon, a united rebellion against God. Now, when I talk about a united rebellion, that's kind of the first thing to understand about this story. It's not a sin to build a tower, is it? No. No, it's not a sin to build a tower. It's not a sin to build a city. It's not a sin to build. It's not a sin to have ambition. But when the building and the ambition serves the purpose of uniting everybody in a rebellion against God, in a rebellion against His Word, well... Yes, then we have a problem. And you might look at that and think, well, where do you see that they're united against God? Uh, That's a good question. Verse 4. Verse 4. See there it says, lest we be dispersed. If you go back to Genesis chapter 9, you're going to see Noah and his family coming off the ark. God gives them two commands, multiply and disperse, spread out over the earth. So these leaders, this culture, this, this group is basically saying, we're not going to disperse. You know what we're going to do? We're going to build a city here, and that's going to be our glory. This city will be our glory. It'll be our strength. It'll be our protection. We don't need God for that. We don't need to unite around God. God's not going to be our glory. We can do that ourselves. We can, we can build something right up to the heavens. We don't, we don't need God for that. So they're uniting in rebellion. So what does God do? He separates us. He separates people into all these. And we use the word nations. Keep in mind in the Bible, throughout the Bible, the word nations more often than not is not how you and I think about it. When you and I hear the word nations, we think of a a geopolitical border and a flag. That's not what ethnos means here, or nations mean here. It's the word ethnos. It means ethnicities or people groups. So God divides us all up into these different people groups. Now, I don't know, but y'all, I kind of scratch my head there and think, hey, God, did this play out like you had in mind? I mean, this didn't seem, this doesn't seem good. I mean, all of us in these different people groups, and and we're sinners, we become competitive. So this is kind of where we see all wars come from. And think of the evil, the suffering that is surrounded and connected with and comes out of wars. I mean, think of all of that through human history. I mean, you could say it kind of started right here. Racism, prejudice starts right here. You know, you could even say... One of the necessities for government, it starts right here. And you and I would look at all these things and say, God, you did that? You separated us? Because that doesn't seem good. You know, God didn't say this was good. God, God didn't say, hey, this is a good moment, and my plan is to keep you divided and separated throughout the world. What he's doing is he's, I mean, he's dividing and conquering is what he's doing, 
You know, right now, if we stay all as one, we have a unity around our rebellion against God. So God is protecting us. United, a united world. You know what that builds? A united path to darkness. A united path to death and destruction. God is protecting us from that and and separating us out. Now, separating us out didn't stop rebellion, did it? No, every people group can claim rebellion against God. There's no holy good group out there. They all rebel against God. But now it's in smaller efforts. It's in smaller ways that we fight God and rebel against God versus a united way that kind of like the time before Noah would just drag the whole earth down into death and darkness. So this is actually God's protection in, in dividing us up, in, in, in keeping us separate. So, so God, God gets us all, all divided up, but now I've said that's temporary. That's not God's actual purpose. Well, what is his purpose? Okay, so again, you've glanced at chapter 10, and you see all these names and these people groups. They're all speaking one language, but that one language is a language in rebellion against God. Now we're going to go to the New Testament, and we're going to again see a whole bunch of people groups and a whole bunch of languages, but look what happens. In Acts chapter, Acts chapter uh, 2, beginning in verse 5. Now, quick context. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has ascended into heaven. In Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit descends upon God's people, and that first time the Holy Spirit comes upon us, they begin speaking in tongues. Now, I realize when I say that phrase, probably what comes to a lot of our minds is something that happens in some church services in some places. Maybe you've seen it, heard about it, maybe you've been a part of it. That's not what this is. As a matter of fact, what is real clear is the speakers were getting up, they're just speaking out of their own tongue, out of their native language, and there's all these people groups And they all understand. They all understand the one person speaking. So let me, let me, let's let this explain itself. Verse five, Acts chapter two, verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each of us, that we hear each of us in his own native language? Now, you remember verse chapter 10, all those people groups, all those nations, listen to verse 9. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Folks, do you realize before this moment, the only other time in human history that humanity has spoken with a united tongue was at the Tower of Babel. That's the last time all of humanity is speaking one language and declaring, and they're declaring a rebellion against God. But now here we are in Acts chapter 2, and again, it's a united tongue, and they're declaring 
the works of God. Do you see a theme of how God moves and works? And of course, you see a theme of how Satan moves and works. Now, that's an event. Let me, I want to read a passage now that gives an explanation, some understanding behind what God is doing and what is going on. I'm going to read two verses, Ephesians 2, verse 13 and 14. But those two verses kind of summarize really everything from Ephesians 2.11 all the way to chapter 3, verse 13, okay? But I'm just going to read two verses. Ephesians 2, verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen? Man, we were saying thank you a moment ago. If there's something to say thank you for, thank you for bringing me near, God. I was far off in my attitude. I was far off in my actions. I was, I was far off in my goodness, thinking that I could be good enough, that I am enough. I was far off, but you brought me near. You made me a child of God. You made me a friend of God. You adopted me into your family. You made me a co-heir with Jesus Christ. That's pretty near. You who were once far off, You've been brought near, how? By the blood of Jesus Christ. Gosh, in just a moment, you and I are going to take of the cup. And that juice is going to hit our lips. And we're to remember. We're to remember our faith in the blood. We're to remember what it's done for us. I am near to God. No sin separates me. No sin makes me far off anymore. Thank you, Lord, right? We were saying thank you earlier. Thank you, Lord, for that. Now, that's a statement about what is happening in each of our individual lives when we put our faith, our trust in the broken body, the spilled blood. I am forgiven and I am brought near. That's not where the end of God's purpose is. That's not the end of God's work. Listen to verse 14. For he himself, Jesus, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both, who's both? Jew and Gentile. Jew and all the other people groups of the world. He's made us one and has broken down in his flesh. Okay, we're getting ready to put that, that, that cracker on our lips. We're going to put it in our teeth and we're going to crush it. Just as Isaiah 53 says Jesus was crushed for our sins, we're going to, as we eat, we're going to remember that happened. And again, normally, all we're thinking about is what that means to me individually. But look at this little spin. He has, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the broken body of Christ, the dividing wall of hostility. The hostility between Jew and Gentile. The hostility between all of the people groups. So back to Acts chapter 2. Okay, the, the Holy Spirit descends, they're speaking in united tongue. You know what they're doing by the end of Acts chapter 2? They're celebrating the Lord's Supper. The unity of that tongue, the unity of declaring the wonder and the work of God, and they're sharing their faith, the same faith you and I have, in the body and blood of Christ. What a great victory! Except... Then we got involved again. Now remember, we're talking about Christians. We're not talking about the big, bad, ugly world. We're talking about, about Christians. Now, I don't know if you heard me read this. It says, all of them were Jews. 
So we're not yet talking about people groups. Yeah, I said Elamites and Cappadocia and Arabians and Cretans, but they were all Jews from those areas. Now you think, okay, we're all Jewish. We can all get along, right? <laughs> no, we, boy, we, we hang on to differences. As a matter of fact, sadly, so much of humanity, we find strength, we find purpose, we find meaning in our hate, in our anger, in, in living in light of the differences. And so here you've got a group of Jews, these first believers, and by time we get to chapter 6, they're fighting. Do you know what they're fighting about? You've got two kinds of Jews. You've got a Hebraic Jew and you've got a Hellenistic Jew. The Hebraic Jews are Jews born and bred in the good old South... U- no, not South USA. No, they were, born, they were born and bred in Israel. I was born in Israel. I was raised in Israel. I came to faith in Israel. I speak Hebrew. Okay, then you've got these other Jews. Now, they're just as Jewish, Jewish in faith, Jewish in race. But they were born somewhere else, and they speak another language. It doesn't take much for us to look at somebody and say, you're not like me. And since you're not like me, I don't like you. There's something wrong. There's something bad about you. These are all Jews, and they're fighting And there actually talks about a prejudice that takes care of where the Hebrew Jews aren't taking care of the Hellenistic Jews. And would you believe it's only going to get worse from here? Gosh, if you think the Jews can't get, Jewish Christians can't get along because of a little difference like where they were born, wait till the gospel goes to the world, goes to all of the people groups. Now, Hebrew, uh, Hebraic Jew and Hellenistic Jew, they do have one thing in common their dislike of Gentiles, their dislike of everybody else. And that gospel is going to go out. And what's Paul trying to say here? Hey, guys, this wall of hostility, this is, this is what the broken body and the spilled blood, it brings it down. It, it's, it's to bring it down in our world. Are you a part of God's purpose? You know, in a moment we come to this table and we think about Have I received this? Am I enjoying it? Am I celebrating it? Am I celebrating it rightly? But God's got a purpose here. God's got a clear purpose to bring us together around our unity and our faith in Christ. Am I not just celebrating that, but am I going out and living it? Satan's victory is our division. Satan's victory is our hatred. The next time, the only time Satan wants to unite is when it's around the Antichrist. To have a united world in rebellion to God. But God's purpose, God's work is to bring us together. God's victory is us united in Christ. Now folks, this isn't supposed to be just a neat thought, kind of a warm, fuzzy moment. Oh look, we all like each other. No, it's a witness. It's a witness to a watching world that as you and I come into this room, join online, as we come in here together, we come with all of our differences. You know, in this room, there's probably 10 different ethnicities, at least 10 different ethnicities. But it's not just our ethnicities that divide us, our economic 
status background can divide us. Our educational background status can divide us. Our politics can certainly divide us. And these are real things. These are real issues. It's not pretend. These things really divide us. And God, or the, God knows, the world all knows that we divide. The world all knows that, that all of our little groups, we fight and claw and hate and are bitter toward each other. So God is saying, hey, watch world, watch what the gospel can do. And as we come in here with all of our differences, we came in here together. Not looking at our differences, but united in our common bond, our common faith in the broken body and the spilled blood of Christ. And it's not that that common bond is greater than our differences. It's that that common bond crushes those differences. Those differences play no role in our lives as we strive to worship together this morning, to open God's word together this morning, to come to the Lord's table together, 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 together. Are you a part of God's purpose? Are you a part of what God is doing in this world? And folks, God bringing people together again, it's not just a warm, fuzzy thought, We're united around his broken body and spilled blood. We're united around his word. What he says to do and what he says not to do. My individual freedom is not bigger and greater than our common faith in God and his word. Obviously, this is a very different way to approach the Lord's table. I would have never in my life thought, I think I'm going to read Genesis 11 and go straight to the Lord's Supper. But wow... These two things powerfully go together as we see how God's moving and working in our world. As we come to this time, it's very appropriate to think about my my faith in Christ. Am I a genuine believer, a genuine follower in Jesus Christ? If you are, this time and this moment is for you. We celebrate here at the Heights what we call open communion. That means it's open to all. You don't have to be a member of our church to partake in this time. The only disqualifier is if you not professed faith in Christ. And that's not our church's belief. That's the statement of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. If you've not professed faith in Christ, not followed him in believer's baptism, then when you come to this moment, you can actually eat and drink judgment upon yourself. So it's not that I'm telling you you can't. I'm warning you. I think the scripture would have you look at what you're celebrating here if you haven't yet placed your life in the broken body and spilled blood of Christ. So as we come to this time, I want to think about, hey, where's my faith? How am I living that faith? Is there sin? Because I'm going to celebrate something here in a moment. How can I celebrate something if I'm living in contradiction? So I want to confess those sins, repent of those sins, enjoy his forgiveness, because the broken body and spilled blood guarantees me I can talk to God without this. I can talk to God about this and there'll be forgiveness. And so there's a, there's a moment where we, where we do that. And we know we're supposed to do that as we come to this time. But you know, as I understand what God is doing in this world, not just in me, but in this world, I think this is a good time and place to say, hey, God, am I a part of what you're doing in this world? 
Am I a part of your plan and purpose, not just for me as an individual, but but for a whole church family and for what you're trying to do in this world? God's never going to capitalize on our hate. God's never going to capitalize on our anger. What he's going to capitalize on is our faith in the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I want to give you a moment to to just spend with the Lord, to pray about these things. And as you've heard me say many times before, I'm going to give you about 60 seconds. And I'm pretty sure as I look around the room, that's not enough for any of us. None of us can get this done in 60 seconds. What I like to say is I hope this 60 seconds kind of starts a conversation with you and the Lord that will go on throughout the rest of the afternoon and the rest of this week. Take a moment. Take a moment to be still, to be with the Lord and talk with him about his purpose, what he's doing in and around you and your desire to join him in what he's doing. Oh, Lord, we were far off, but you made us a friend. We were far off, but you adopted us. We were far off, but you made us a child, a co-heir with Jesus. You didn't do that by our goodness. You did that through the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus. Thank you. Lord, you've made it so clear your purposes in this world are to bring near. You deal with sin. You deal with the wrong. But the goal is to bring near. Lord, I pray we are a people who enjoy and celebrate the nearness of God. And that nearness is lived out in how we love and serve and forgive one another. How we work in our world to bring the differences down. And not a pretend unity, but a unity around the Word of God. A unity around the name of God. A unity around the worship of God. Lord, you gave us this moment. You gave us the Lord's table. It's a place that represents our forgiveness and our common bond of our faith in you. Lord, I pray the heights 
will always hold out to our community. A place that crushes the differences and raises high our unity and our faith in you. God, protect us, keep us from those dividing walls of hostility. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. If you would get your uh, little glass here, the smaller part on top, the bread, open that up. Jesus said, this is my body. It's been broken for you. I always think of Isaiah 53 where it says Jesus was crushed for our sins. No doubt as we put this in our mouth and crush it, we're to remember. I am forgiven because of a very high price paid by Jesus. Jesus said, take and eat. Turn it over and open up the juice. Jesus said, this is my blood, and it provides a new covenant. Covenant is a wonderful, powerful word. We really don't have anything like it in America. Probably the closest thing to it would be a contract. This is God's contract with you, signed in blood. The only problem is we can get out of contracts, can't we? Contracts are broken all the time. A covenant can't be broken, but by God giving his life. And Jesus says, I've made this covenant by giving my life for you. Take and drink. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being near to us today and hearing each and every one of our prayers. I thank you there's no sin that can separate me from you, no sin that can keep you from hearing our prayers. And God, we bring those sins and we lay them at your feet. We don't ask for your forgiveness. We already have it. We confess that these sins we lay down are contrary to you. And we ask for your help in in living out your holiness in our lives. We ask for your help in living out your purposes in all around us. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to come to this table and celebrate, not alone. It's together that we come and celebrate. Lord, show us what that looks like in our lives in this coming week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, would you take these? And uh, I think everybody on this end of a row, you'll see a basket below that. If you'd pick up that basket and just hand it down the row and you can deposit uh, these little containers uh, in there, that would help our deacons get that all cleaned up and and get home shortly after you get home. So uh, help them in that way. Uh, after serving us today. Hey, if you're uh, thinking about what I was saying a moment ago about I need to have a genuine faith in Christ before I come to his table, if you have questions about whether you have a genuine faith in Christ or how that happens, I want to encourage you to take a, a step of faith today 
and go and begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. As we leave here in a moment and we go out these doors, there's a desk right in the middle. Right above it, it says next steps. And there's some folks there who would love to be able to talk with you today about how you could begin your journey, your walk of faith in Jesus Christ. I hope you'll go out there and do that. Maybe you have questions about following the Lord in believer's baptism or becoming a member here at the Heights, that same desk. They'll help you with that. I hope you'll go check that out today. Thank you all so much for being here together. You know, it's in moments like these we realize walking with Christ is not an individual sport. Walking with Christ is not a lone thing. Taking the Lord's Supper is not an alone thing. It's always together. We go out of here as individuals, but we got to be thinking, how am I praying? How am I worshiping? How am I loving? How am I serving? Together. That bond in Christ is great. Let's go live it. Amen? Amen. God bless. Love you guys. Have a great week.